So this morning we're going to finish up a four-week series on the assurance to face our future. And I wanted to kind of start on maybe, hopefully, a little bit of a humorous note this morning. I was doing a little bit of research online, and I found some signs from around the world that just, obviously, whoever wrote these articles found funny, and I found humorous too. So if you don't find it funny, just bear with me, okay? Uh, here's, Here's one interesting sign. The only thing I can figure is it's warning of Vikings that may attack you on this road. I don't know. But that's an actual sign somewhere. All right. This is a good one. Notice. Thank you for noticing this new notice. Your noticing has been noticed. And it will be reported to the authorities. I don't know. All right. Next one. Skipping man holding a briefcase. Crossing the road, I don't know if, yeah, I don't know what the warning there is, but there you go, an actual sign somewhere. All right, do not fall in the water, just in case you were thinking about falling in the water, do not fall in the water, there you go. Some of these may suffer from translation a little bit, I don't know. All right, here's a good one. Some of you haven't gotten it yet, it's okay, let's look at it for a minute. What's wrong with that sign? (laughs) All right. I'll just let you think about that. Beware of safety. In other words, live on the edge. Safety's for wimps. All right. Here's another one. Torture chamber. Listen, y'all. I'm certainly not making fun of people in wheelchairs, but... I mean, isn't that discrimination? Shouldn't they be allowed to? All right. Just let that speak for itself. So listen, if you're going to take your head off and throw it away, do not litter. Do not litter. I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. All right. And last but not least, please be safe. Do not stand, sit, climb, or lean on fences. If you fall, animals could eat you, and you might make them sick. There you go. So as funny as they are, there's something to be learned, although with some of them I'm not sure what. There's something to be learned from each of those, right? Somebody wanted to communicate something, and most of them were not that pleasant. I don't I don't know what the thinking behind some of them was, was, but we've got signs like that everywhere. I mean, everywhere you drive down the road, you're going to see half a dozen road signs that you may ignore, but are trying to communicate something to you, right? A stop sign says something, uh, a stop light says something, you know, a caution light, different railroad crossing signs. I mean, we have things in our lives like that every day that communicate something that we need to be aware of. Now, in life, when we are going through challenging circumstances, and and one of the things that we're talking about in this series is is the assurance to face our future, especially when life is uncertain. How do we have hope? How do we have assurance? And, And one of the things that we learn in life, especially in challenging times, is that that in those moments, God wants to teach us some things that we might not see 
otherwise. When you're driving down the road, if you're just going through your day, nothing is out of the ordinary, you're likely to ignore some of those signs, right? But suddenly, if there's traffic, or suddenly, if you see an accident, suddenly you're more aware. Or if the driving is difficult for whatever reason, because of rain or something, you're more aware of those signs. You're more aware of the dangers that exist. And in life, It's in those times when we are under stress, when we're going through a difficulty, that we are more aware of what God wants us to hear. And he has those little signs, those little nuggets of information, sometimes small, sometimes major life lessons that he wants us to learn, lessons that he wants us to learn through difficult times and and certainly when we make mistakes, when we fail, when we choose to do things that we know are wrong, God works through those situations too to teach us some lessons. And we're going to look a little bit at that this morning as we finish this series called Hope, the Assurance to Face Our Future. It's based on Jeremiah 29, 11, which says, for I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration, plans for your welfare, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And God has a plan. That's to the nation of Israel, but Scripture bears out that God has a plan for all of his people. He has a plan he wants to accomplish for his kingdom, for his glory, and he chooses to use us in accomplishing that plan. We're involved in that. And the purpose of this series is to live with assurance that can only be found in a personal and knowing Christ in a personal relationship with him, and then beyond knowing him, fulfilling his plan for my life. Life can be scary sometimes. Can we all agree on that? It can be scary. I mean, next week is September the 11th. Sunday falls on a September the 11th. And all of us, whether we were alive or not, know what that day represents. I remember that day clearly. I was serving on staff at my home church. Mandy and I uh, were dating, and she was working at Children's Hospital. I was at home. I was about to start getting ready to go to the church, and she called me to tell me to turn on the news, to tell me what was going on. I had not looked at the news that morning. I hadn't—I don't even know I, if I had the TV on. I was watching something else, and suddenly, the probably the scariest day of my life, watching all of that unfold and seeing that happen. Life gets scary sometimes, and it's in those moments that we have trouble having the assurance that we need. I mean, it could be something major like September the 11th, but it also could just be you're having a difficult time. Maybe your boss is mean. (laughs) Maybe you have a difficult work experience. Maybe your income is dwindling. I think we all are a little tighter these days, right, because of inflation. Maybe it's your income. Maybe it's a spouse. You and your spouse are not clicking. You're, you're not getting along. Your marriage is not what you know it should be. Maybe there's an illness that you're battling, something that you're dealing with on a physical level. Or, or maybe it's just some other, I mean, any number of scary things, difficult things that's happening in your life. Now, It's true that some situations that we fear are really not worth fearing. Some things are even uh, our imagination. It's like the guy, you know, football season officially started yesterday, college football at least, um, or this past week. And it's like the guy who goes to a football game and is so paranoid he thinks that every time the team huddles, the team's talking about him. You know, some people are like that. You know, everything, I mean, we're just, they're paranoid. They're, you know, they have fears that are unfounded. 
and, and we've all probably been guilty of that at some time, but some situations are legitimately scary and should cause fear. Fear can be healthy. Today we're going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 18. Now when we turn, go ahead and turn there in your Bible, but when we turn there, when we go to 2 Chronicles 18, we need to understand what's happening in the kingdom in Israel at this time. The nation of Israel is divided. So you've got Judah and you've got Jerusalem. Now the king Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah. Ahab is the king of Israel. Jehoshaphat was king for about 25 years, not about, right, right at 25 years from AD, uh, or BC rather, 873 to 848. So he's king for 25 years. He becomes king at 35. Uh, when he first becomes king, he fortifies the cities. Um, Jehoshaphat loves God. He, he um, encourages everybody to renew themselves to the Lord. He, he promotes devotion to God. He exemplifies that himself. Mostly, as we'll see, he veers from that today. He strengthens the military. At this time, there's about a million, 160,000 troops under his command, there was peace in the kingdom. We read, if you look back at 17, chapter 17, verse 10, he was a man of God who loved God, and, was, and God was blessing him for that, for his faithfulness. In many ways, he was like David. He was a man after God's own heart, and we see that in his life. Today, though, we're going to see him find himself in a pretty difficult, a pretty frightening situation. Just because he loved God and was a man after God's own heart did not mean that he didn't make mistakes. And he does. And we see that today. God has some signs for him, some lessons to learn that we need to learn as well and hopefully will as we walk through this. The first is this. When life gets scary, and it will, relationships will either bless you or they will burn you depending on who you surround yourself with. When life gets scary, relationships will either bless you or burn you. Now, Jehoshaphat was faithful, and he was blessed by God. But he makes an alliance by marriage with King Ahab. King Ahab was not faithful to God. He was wicked, as a matter of fact. And Jehoshaphat's son marries Ahab's daughter. Look at verse 1 of chapter 18. Now, Jehoshaphat had riches and honor and abundance, and he made an alliance with Ahab through marriage. And I can't think of, when we look at these two guys, I can't think of two people that are more different than these two guys, yet they make an alliance. Verse 2, then after some years, he went down to visit Ahab in Samaria. Ahab sacrificed many sheep and cattle for him and for the people who were with him. Then he persuaded him to march up to Ramoth-Gilead. So it's one of the strangest partnerships you're ever going to see in the Bible. I mean, strangest partnerships you'll probably ever see, period, uh, anywhere. It's almost, I mean, it's, it's like a night and day type of thing in terms of these guys and their lifestyles and their priorities and even their personalities, I'm sure. You know, I think about, you know, the difference of night and day, and I've mentioned this before, but a few years back when the eclipse happened. We went to Falls Creek Falls and we, 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 we got to see it there. It was a great place to view it. And, and I remember when everything got dark, all of the, the nighttime animals came out, right? You heard the crickets and, and all of these things, all the, all of the, the um, 
uh, the, the, the animals that you usually hear when it's dark because they thought it was nighttime. They were confused, right? It looked like nighttime. I mean, if I were just, you know, to wake up at that moment, I would think it was nighttime, but it really wasn't. It may look like nighttime. You could say that it was nighttime, but it really wasn't. I don't remember what time it was, but it was in the middle of the day, or at least afternoon. So just because I say it's nighttime doesn't mean it's nighttime, right? You can't have daytime and nighttime at the same time. I mean, it may look like that, but it really was. It was still daytime. It's just the sun was blocked. You can't have the two. The two don't mix. And if you try to, just like with that eclipse, it's going to get confusing and crazy things start to happen. Like animals, I'm sure they missed part of their sleep because they woke up. And I mean, things, it's just not natural. And that's what I think about when I think about this partnership. Two completely different people trying to come together, trying to form an alliance. And guess what? It does not work out. It's chaos. It's craziness. And we're going to see that. These two men have nothing in common spiritually. Jehoshaphat was one of the most godly kings that we see in Scripture. He had been used by God to bring revival to the nation. He was being used by God. He loves God. He loves the Word of God. In fact, chapter 17, in that chapter, his commitment to God is compared to David's, like I just mentioned. He, too, was a man after God's own heart. On the other hand, you've got Ahab, who was as godless as they come. He was wicked. He hates God. He's an idolater. He's completely immoral on top of all of that. So what is it that brought these two guys together? What was it that caused them to form this alliance or encouraged them at least? Well, it's based on material and physical reasons is why they formed this alliance. For one thing, there was the marriage alliance between the two. Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, married Athaliah, the daughter of Ahab, and Jezebel. And we all know what kind of woman Jezebel was, if you know anything about Scripture. So that kind of gives you an idea. Um, Maybe these guys thought that they could bring the divided kingdom back together through this alliance. Maybe that was part of their goal. Regardless, what they did was wrong, and it's not going to work. And so there was was that. Maybe their motivation, again, was good, but it's not going to work. Another reason was that Jehoshaphat and Ahab had a market alliance, materially. Um, We're told that Jehoshaphat joined himself with Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, when he became king of Israel. They they send ships to Tarshish. The ships were sent for commerce, for grain, for gold. But this didn't work out so well either. There's a shipwreck, all the cargo's lost, so God wouldn't bless that. So they're trying to... To, to make money, trying to, to, to gain wealth materially. That doesn't work out. And then in chapter 18, we see that Jehoshaphat and Ahab have a military alliance that's formed. Ahab is having problems with Syria, so he asks Jehoshaphat to enter into this alliance with him and go to Ramoth Gilead. Look at verse 3. For Israel's king Ahab asked Judah's king, Jehoshaphat, will you go with me to Ramoth Gilead? He replied to him, I'm as you are, my people are as your people, we will be with you in battle. So Ahab gives gifts of labor, sheep, oxen to Jehoshaphat, then he calls home the favor by asking Jehoshaphat to join him in this battle. 
in this war against Ramoth Gilead. The, the idea, I mean, again, Jehoshaphat strengthened the army. The idea is that the two combined can easily defeat Ramoth Gilead. They could easily overtake, uh, take that away from Aram, again, who's the king. Jehoshaphat agrees. He even says, now remember, this is a man after God's own heart. Ahab is as wicked as they come. He even says, I am as you are. And I've already established these guys could not have been more different and, and should have been. I mean, you know, Jehoshaphat was, he loved the Lord. Ahab hated God. They, but he says he's going over to that side. And this is where we learn a valuable lesson. And we all need to understand this. It is impossible for believers to lead a godly life if they put themselves in relationships that compromise their faith. Now, let me unpack that just a little bit. I'm not talking about relational evangelism here. We all should be building relationships with the lost in hopes of leading them to Christ. What I am talking about is when you allow yourself into a friendship, into a dating relationship, um, where or any type of a relationship where they are influencing you for evil, where they are pulling you away from Christ. Guess what? When that happens, it's not their fault. They're lost. It is your fault. It is my fault. We have to be careful who we surround ourselves with, who we listen to, who, who we date, who we choose to marry. I mean, this alliance, although it is, it's not a marriage, is a reminder that when you choose someone to marry, you need to choose someone that is also a follower of Christ. Because the Bible is very clear about what happens when two people are unequally yoked. I mean, hopefully, prayerfully, that person would come to know Christ, but there, there are going to be problems when you both, when, when both of you are not, when one of you is not a follower of Christ. If you're in that relationship, you need to live out your faith, and you need to pray for your spouse for their salvation. But if you are not yet married, let me encourage you, wherever you are, if you're looking for a spouse, do not settle for less than God's best for you. And his best for you is someone who's going to come along and encourage you and sharpen you. And they're going to be growing in their faith. And together you will fulfill God's plan for your family and ultimately for your kingdom. Any relationship, though, where someone pulls me away from Christ is not a healthy relationship. And what we see here is Jehoshaphat has allowed himself into that type of relationship. And he's already drifted, right? I am as you are. He's already drifted, and he's in danger. So Ahab's trying to get him to to follow him and to go with him. To put it mildly, Jehoshaphat's about to get burned here. This relationship is about to burn him. Remember, God had given Jehoshaphat peace in Judah. He had blessed him with peace, and now he's about to agree, agree to go to war. Ahab's asking him to do that. Jehoshaphat agrees, but he, he's not happy about it, and who would blame him? He knows it's not right. He has a mind for God. He knows that this situation is starting to make him anxious. So he tells Ahab, first, we need to determine if God is okay with this. And that's, this is where we learn that, that the truth may hurt before it helps. The truth may hurt before it helps. Jehoshaphat wanted the truth from God before he went to attack the enemy. You have to admire him for that. 
verse 4. First, please ask what the Lord's will is. He tells Ahab, we need to ask God first before we do this. We need to make sure because if he's not with us, we don't have a prayer. Let's find out what God has to say about this. So Ahab brings in his his army of prophets. Verse 5. So the king of Israel gathered the prophets, 400 men, and asked them, Should we go to Ramoth Gilead for war, or should I refrain? They replied, March up, and God will hand it over to the king. 400 men, but Ahab's men, no doubt on his payroll, who know if they don't tell the king what he wants to hear, it's going to be trouble for them. So Ahab says, yeah, sure, I'll bring in my prophets. And of course, they tell him exactly what they want, what he wants to hear. And they agree with his desire. These guys were yes men. All right. I, I love some of the stories about Abraham Lincoln. One of the reasons he was such a great leader is that he surrounded himself with people and they didn't have to agree with him. And he was willing to listen to people who disagreed with him if, if they were qualified and could get the job done. And there's a story about he's having a conversation with someone who disagreed with him. In this instance, they happened to be wrong. And he, he's trying to convince this guy that what he's saying is wrong. And the guy's arguing with him. And he said, Let me th- let's think about it this way. If we have a, say there's a cow. How many legs does a cow have? Assuming the cow has all of its legs. And the guy said, well, four. He said, okay, well, let's, let's change this up a little bit. Let's say that the cow's tail is also a leg. How many legs does the cow have now? And the guy says, well, now the cow has five. And Abraham Lincoln says, that's where you're wrong. Just because you call a tail a leg does not mean it's a leg. You can, we can say what we want. We can believe what we want. But that doesn't mean it's true. And these guys could say whatever Ahab wanted to hear, and they did. They may have even believed it because they were not in tune with God. They were being disobedient, so you can guarantee they weren't hearing the voice of God. They may have even believed it, but it still was wrong. Just because they said it, maybe even believed it, doesn't mean it was right. Now Jehoshaphat has discernment enough to know that there's something wrong here. So look at verse 6. Jehoshaphat asked, Isn't there a prophet of Yahweh here anymore? He knows these guys are not of the Lord. Let's ask him. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Ahab says, there is still one man who who can ask Yahweh, but I hate him because he never prophesies good about me. He doesn't say what he wants to hear. Only disaster. He's Micaiah, son of Imlah. The king shouldn't say that, Jehoshaphat replied. And he knows, he's made this alliance. He's like, you shouldn't say that. That's not good. But they needed a fresh perspective. Several years ago, I think, I think Timmy was about eight years old, uh, we were over at my father-in-law's house, and he was having trouble with his door, his sliding door on the van. Wouldn't open. Couldn't get it to open. It had you know, a button open automatically. And he and I probably stayed out there for 30, 45 minutes trying to figure it out. We could not, I mean, I could not figure out why this door wasn't open. Timmy's eight years old, right? We've been working on it. I was looking at the track. I figured, you know, something, maybe the motor was gone. Timmy comes out there. He sits in the driver's seat and he says, have you guys tried this? And flips the switch under the dash. And sure enough, door opens up. <laughs> the, the switch was off. We had been looking at it for I don't know how long. I couldn't figure it out. And here comes Timmy 
button pusher. He comes by natural. I'm a button pusher too. He just looks and I mean, bam, there it is. Sometimes we need a little bit of innocence, but sometimes we need a fresh perspective, don't we? Sometimes we need somebody that's going to tell us the truth because they're going to see things that we don't. Somebody from the outside that hasn't been living in the midst of the situation because we have a tendency to want to hear what we want to hear and we don't necessarily want the right perspective if it inconveniences us. And Jehoshaphat, he wanted a, a prophet of the Lord. Micaiah was their guy. But Ahab says he hates him. He says, this, this guy never says anything good about me. Jehoshaphat says, you don't really mean that you hate him. You don't need to say that. He's a man of God. You need to be careful. But there are a lot of people who have that same view, don't they? They don't want to hear what God has to say, regardless of who says it, if it inconveniences them, if it causes them to have to change their lifestyle, if it disagrees with something that they want to do. We've all probably been guilty of that at some point. But here's the right approach. When you seek godly counsel, don't just ask those who will say what you want to hear. Be sure to have people in your life that will tell you the truth, even if they know it may offend you. We need people to be honest with us. Yes, we need encouragement. And when we're doing what God wants us to do, we need people to come alongside us and encourage us and to prod us and to help us. And to affirm what we're doing, but when we're not doing what we should be doing, we need those people in our lives that are going to look us square in the eye, out of love, in love, and tell us that we are wrong. Jehoshaphat knew that. Ahab didn't want to hear it. He didn't want to have anything to do with it. You know, Galatians, my pastor growing up, this wasn't my father-in-law, but I know he, he feels the same way. My pastor growing up had a plaque on on the pulpit and the pulpit was still there when my father-in-law became the pastor at, at the church I grew up in and the, the plaque said sir we would see Jesus and you've probably seen that and absolutely I mean when I come up here on Sunday morning I, my motivation is I want people to see Jesus through me that that the words that I speak are from him and not myself but <laughs> I agree with that 100 percent but I think on the other side of the pulpit sometimes there needs to be Galatians 4 16 have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Ahab didn't want to hear the truth. He wanted to hear whatever tickled his ears. And we live in a culture, as Scripture has predicted, where that's all too common. But we need the truth. Sometimes we don't like the truth when it shows us things in our lives that are wrong, but we need that. Micaiah is one of the great men of the Bible. He was a man of God who gave out the word of God unfiltered. Even if it cost him his life, he was going to be faithful. No agenda. He tells Ahab the truth, or he did, had a pattern of doing that at risk to his own life. Now, I love how this unfolds. I think there's a little bit of a sense of humor here with Micaiah, and I'll explain why. Verse 12, the messenger who went to call Micaiah trust, uh, instructed him, Look, the words of the prophets are unanimously in favor of the king. So let your words be like theirs and speak favorably. So these guys go to him and they're prepping him, right? Here's what the king wants. If you're smart, you will say the same thing. Don't disagree. All these other guys have already agreed with him. Do not disagree. And you know he doesn't like you anyway, so don't, don't make him mad. Essentially is what they're saying. But look how he responds. Verse 13. But Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, I will say whatever my God says. He said, I'm going to tell you whatever the Lord says. I mean, it doesn't matter what these other guys have said. 
He wouldn't be intimidated. He's going to say exactly what God has for him to say. But this is where, and maybe I'm just a smart aleck at heart. I don't know. But this is where I think we see a little bit of a sense of humor. Uh, maybe a little facetiousness on, on the side of Micaiah. Verse 14. So he goes to the king. And the king asked him, Ahab asked, Micaiah, should we go to Ramoth Gilead for war or should I refrain? And Micaiah says, march up and succeed for they will be handed over to you. You can almost hear him say, that's what you wanted to hear, right? At first he agrees, but I think he's just messing with Ahab. I think he's, I think he, maybe he had a moment where he, he, he was, spoke out of fear, but no, I think he's saying, hey, you, you know what, I'll tell you what you want to hear. I know that's what you want to hear. And the reason I think that is because Ahab's response, the king said to him, how many times must, my, must I make you swear not to tell me anything but the truth in the name of Yahweh? It's almost like Ahab's going, just stop. I know that's not what you think. Why are you telling me that? I know that you don't agree with what we're trying to do. Stop messing around. See, here's the thing. And this, this is where a lot of people fall. Ahab wanted the word of God, but he didn't want it. We want to know what God thinks. We want to know what God wants us to do. We want to know his plan for our lives. He's hardwired in every human being the desire to know him and to know his purpose. The problem is we want it, but we don't want it if it changes what we want to do with our lives. If it causes us to change what we want or to give up something that we like, to stop doing something that makes us happy, that's when we decide, well, maybe not so much. And we're not all guilty of that, but I think if we're all honest, we have been at some point in our lives. There's been a time when God's told, at points in my life where he's told me to do something that I just really didn't want to do and ignored it or just tried to push it aside. We want the word of God, but then we really, we want to know the truth. Ahab is basically saying, I want to know the truth, but you know, I'm not going to follow it if I got to change what I want to do here. Some people want the truth, but they're not willing to live by it. We all want to know the truth. I think if everybody, even the most relativistic person in the world, if they're honest, I think they really want to know the truth. We all. We're trying to define it, trying to figure out what it is. So Micaiah gets serious. Not only are they going to lose the battle, it's going to be much worse. Look at verse 16. Micaiah said, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, they have no master. Let each return home in peace. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, didn't I tell you this guy never says anything good about me? He never prophesies good about me, only disaster. Israel's going to be scattered like sheep without a shepherd. He's saying Ahab's going to die. And Ahab says to Jehoshaphat, I told you so. Never says anything good about me. But Micaiah then really lets him have it. In the next few verses, he tells a parable that basically said that the prophets of Baal are a pack of liars and God is going to judge them all. So Ahab has Micaiah put in prison and on his way, Micaiah, Micaiah looks back and he, said, he basically tells him, you're leaving but you're not coming back. And he looks at all the people and he says, when he doesn't come back, you remember what I said. You remember what God said. He can throw me in prison, but that doesn't change 
The fact that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. This guy has disobeyed God. This king, this leader has denied God. And now he's going to suffer the consequences. Micaiah tells the truth. And sometimes the truth hurts. And if we don't listen to it, if we don't change our lives as a result of it, it's going to hurt a lot more. It may even cost us our lives. Physically and eternally. Deception may come. The last last lesson we learn is that deception may come when we least expect it. Ahab soon dies in war, but not before he makes one last ditch effort to save his sorry skin. We see this alliance is going to almost cost Jehoshaphat his life. I'm not sure why Jehoshaphat goes after Micaiah says they're going to lose, but he does. And it nearly cost him his life. Look at verse 28. Then the king of Israel and Judah's king Jehoshaphat went up to Ramoth Gilead. But the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle. But you wear your royal attire. So the king of Israel disguised himself and they went into battle. So Ahab was a deceiver all the way through. He appeals to King Jehoshaphat's sense of of king uh, royal pride. And he says, okay, I'm going to go fight with the guys. You go dress in your royal attire. But he's setting him up. Jehoshaphat does that. Jehoshaphat nearly dies also because of it. Verse 30. Now the king of Aram, who they're fighting against, had ordered his chariot commanders, do not fight with anyone small or great except the king of Israel. Kind of makes you wonder if Ahab knew that. When the chariot commanders saw Jehoshaphat, they shouted, he must be the king of Israel. So they turned to attack him. But Jehoshaphat cried out and the Lord helped him. When the chips were down, Jehoshaphat turns to the Lord. Finally, he turns back to the Lord. And God drew them away from him. Jehoshaphat let his guard down. He was deceived. He thought he could trust Ahab, but he was wrong. As believers, we have to be on our toes. In this life, we have to be attack ready at all times. I'm not talking about walking around being paranoid, you know, living your life in fear. But we have to be aware that Satan is out there and he wants to attack. He will attack. He knows your weaknesses. He's going to attack your weaknesses. That's why Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 8, be serious, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling, prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. He is going to attack you. We have to be ready. Jehoshaphat let his guard down. Satan is the great deceiver. It talks about Ahab being a deceiver. Well, he's an instrument of Satan at this point. Satan is the ultimate deceiver. He's the best at it. And if we're going to, going to survive Satan's attacks, then we have to immerse ourselves in the Word of God and be filled with the Spirit of God and be submitted to the Lord our God daily, led by Him, empowered by Him, directed by Him, by His Word. He has to guide us. We have to depend on his strength, his armor, Ephesians 6. All of it, not just parts of it that we like, leaving parts that we don't. All of it. Protected by God. Ahab's plan almost works. But while Jehoshaphat had made some mistakes, at this point he makes a good one. When he knows he's in trouble, what does he do? He cries out to God. And God hears him. And God delivers him. God helps him. And when we mess up, and you're going to, I have, everybody in this room who's been a Christian longer than five minutes has, when you mess up, admit your fault, go to the Lord in repentance, seek forgiveness, and guess what he will do? He will restore you. 
He's gracious like that and merciful like that. If you're his child, he will forgive you. And you may have to endure some difficulties, but he will rescue you. He will protect you. We can go to him and cry out to him and help, knowing that he hears us and knowing that he will help us. It may not happen the way we want or when we want, but he'll help us. The only reason Jehoshaphat came out of this is because God intervened. He was a dead man. Where he stood or sat or whatever, he was a dead man. But he cries out to God in verse 31. And Ahab thinks he's gotten away with it, but look at what happens. Verse 33. A man drew his bow without taking special aim and struck the king of Israel through the joints of his armor. So he said to the charioteer, Turn around and take me out of the battle, for I am badly wounded. The battle raged throughout the day, and the king of Israel propped himself up in his chariot, facing the Arameans until evening. Then he died at sunset. Everything that Micaiah said, it happened. But what, what's crazy about this is this guy didn't even aim. He just, you know, I can almost picture, he's got the last arrow. He says, well, you know, I don't want to leave one. So he just takes a shot and just so happens to hit him right between the joints of his armor. Fatally wounds him. What God said would happen, happens. So Ahab is gloating, he's deceiving, he's living his life the way he wants, ignoring God, and he loses his life. So there's this picture, you know, Ahab's kind of running for his life. He thinks he's gotten away with it, he's gloating. He ends up losing his life, and here you have Jehoshaphat who's crying out to God and his life is saved. Boy, there's a lesson in that, isn't there? If we turn to the Lord, if we depend on him, even when we mess up, And God's going to save us. He's going to restore us if we truly repent. You know, I told you these guys couldn't be more different, right? I mean, complete opposites. And and you, you know, you in my life, your life, you have to ask yourself a question, okay? Am I with God or am I against God? There's really no middle ground. Whether it's Christian or not, or even as a Christian, am I following God or am I not? There's no you know, somewhat disobedient. <laughs> You're either obedient or disobedient. And, and you've heard me say this before, any hesitation in obedience is disobedient. I mean, God expects our complete instant obedience. Now, we certainly mess up at that. None of us are perfect in that. But that's what God expects. And guess what? That's what he deserves. He gave his life. God gave his one and only son. Jesus gave his life so that we could be saved. And now that we are saved, we have a responsibility. Yes, we should do it out of love, out of devotion to God, but also we owe it to God to obey him. Our lives, my life doesn't belong to me anymore. It's not mine. It's his. He paid for it with a pretty hefty price. And now I belong to him, and I should do what he says. I should obey him. So where are you? In light of all of this, in this story, what character are you in this Biblical account. What about your relationships? Are you surrounded by people who lead you closer to God, encourage you toward growth, or who are pulling you away from God? It's one of the hardest things I ever had to do in my life when God got my attention and woke me up and told me it was time to really commit to Him. One of the hardest things I ever had to do was leave a group of friends behind. And I did it. It was tough. They didn't understand. Some of them got pretty mad at me. 
Maybe you still are to this day. I don't know. But I'm going to tell you what. Now that I look at my life where I am, it's not always easy. There's problems. But when I look at my wife, my, my kids, my family, what God's doing in and through me, the privilege he's given me to serve, I go back 20-some-odd years to that decision, and I wouldn't change it for nothing. It's hard, but I'm glad I made that decision. Who's surrounding you? Who have you surrounded yourself with? Are you living for the Lord? Are you for him or are you against him? What do you need to do? What do I need to do to make sure I'm living for the Lord faithfully, consistently, growing each and every day? That I'm encouraging kingdom work, not working against kingdom work. When life gets scary, the only safe place is to be under the protection of God. We all have fears. In life, and there are reasons to be afraid, but we've got a choice. We can either carry those fears or we can let go of them. I've got a backpack here that is absolutely full. I've got several books in here. I'm not going to take them all out, but I've got several books. It's a good commentary. I've got a cram full of books. I've got a computer in here. I've got a laptop in here. I've got even the power cord to the computer in here. How many of you carry a bag like this to school every day? It's kind of hefty, right? You can wear it for a while, but it's going to wear on you, right? My back's already hurting. I want to carry this around too long. Can I get a volunteer to help me carry this? Somebody? I can't see who that is back there. One of you come up. I don't know. (laughs) Elena. Alana, Lana, I, forgive me. <laughs> so here's what I need you to do, okay? Are you you're pretty strong? I saw you do the sword fight a couple of weeks ago. I don't think it turned out too well for you, though, did it? In the end, okay. I need for you to carry my bag. Are you sure? You can handle it? All right, I'll help you get it on. Thank you so much. Okay, guess what? Pretty heavy, right? Give it some time. Your school bag's heavier than that. Work with me here, okay? Somewhat heavy, right? Okay. You stand there a while, it's going to get heavy. Guess what? I'm doing okay. You know why? Because I've gotten her to carry my books for me. All right, my computer and all of that. I've got the privilege right now of allowing her to do that. She's agreed to do that. The longer I talk, the heavier it's getting. But I don't have to carry the weight right now. Now, I could take it back, but why do that, right? She's going to do it for me. So here's, here's the thing. When it comes to fears, we're all going to have them. We've got a decision to make. We can either try to carry them ourselves, or we can give them to somebody who can carry them a lot easier. And she said it wasn't heavy at all, so, you know, she's doing okay. We can carry our fears or we can give our fears to God. We can take comfort in our ability to handle it, or we can hand them over to him and let him do it. Y'all give her a hand. Thank you so much. All right. It's pretty heavy. I'm an old man. But there's a lesson in that for all of us. Life gets scared. It's going to get scared. So the question remains for all of us, who are we going to trust? In the end, if we trust our feelings, we're going to never 
get past the fear. We're going to never get past the problems. We're never going to get past the trial, whatever that is. But if we trust the Father, we can have that hope and assurance that looks past the present circumstance. So here's the bottom line. When it comes to fear, when it comes to trials, when it comes to difficulties, when it comes to pain, when it comes to suffering, trust the Father, not your feelings. Feelings will betray you. Feelings will convince you things are not as they really are. But the Father is constant. He is steady. And he is able to do exceedingly more than all that we could ask or all that we could think. Trust the Father. Don't trust the feel- your feelings. Hope, our series, the assurance to face your future. All of this that I'm talking about, all of this that I'm sharing... It sounds great, and it is possible. It's possible to live past circumstances that are difficult. But there's one very important step that you have to take in order for it to be possible for you. None of this is possible, truly possible. Assurance, hope, confidence, getting through the worst situations you'll ever face, none of it is really possible without a relationship with Jesus Christ. The only way you're going to have hope, the only way you're going to endure eternally is if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Have you put your faith and trust in him? He died for your sins, and he is the only way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Have you put your faith in him, your trust in him? If not, you have the opportunity today. If you are his... How's your life? How are the people that are around you? Are you growing closer to him? Or are you being pulled away from him? What do you need to do? What do I need to do? We need to ask ourselves this question often. What do I need to do to make sure I'm living my life faithfully and for him? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the assurance that you give, that you make available through your son Jesus, the salvation that we can experience through him if we put our faith and trust and you believing that he died, that he paid the price for our sins, that he was raised from the dead. And anyone here today who does not know him has that opportunity. I pray that if they are here or they are watching and they don't know you, that you would just speak to them in this moment, in this, in this time, that spirit you would bring them under conviction, that you would draw them to you, give them a knowledge of who you are and their need for you, and that they would turn to you in repentance. Lord, for those of us who know you, I pray that we would constantly allow your Holy Spirit to evaluate our lives and to show us areas where we are, are, are vulnerable, show, show us areas where we are making it easier to fall away from you, to disobey you, whether it's the people we're surrounding ourselves with or the habits that we have or, or just the thoughts that we're entertaining in our minds and our hearts. Lord, just show us areas where we need to submit and give us the strength and the courage to do that. Lord, may we be willing to commit to you and to submit to you and to turn from sin when we are convicted of it and, and turn to you for strength and the ability to to overcome that and to resist those temptations. 
Lord, we, you give us hope, you give us assurance, you give us a future. And Satan would love nothing more than to deceive us and to believe that that's not real, that there's something better out there. But what's best is your plan, a relationship with you. Father, we thank you for giving us the privilege and ability to turn to you. Thank you for receiving us, for saving us, for setting us free. And may we obey you always. For it's in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen. Would you stand for our time of invitation?